breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. And we're back for another week, another episode, another learning opportunity about political Islam, about the need to reform against the ideas that create the political insurgents, the Islamists that are a threat to the West, that are a threat to our national security. This is your friendly American Muslim patriot correspondent, Zudi Jasser, and this is Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Uh, Always so much to talk about, and as you are enjoying, hopefully with your loved one, Valentine's Day weekend, I always have to do the obligatory in your face to the Islamists, be it from Iran, the Khomeinists who think that Valentine's Day is some type of satanic ritual, to the Saudis who actually this year I think are a little tamer on Valentine's Day. No big uh, anti-Valentine's Day movements, uh, no uh, outlawing of the exchange of little cards. And I think there's no better holiday to highlight the difference between the Islamists who are theocrats that want to obliterate personal identity, individual choice, freedom, free speech, love, the ability to publicly display your opinions, your feelings, your emotions. Because to the Islamists, there's no bigger threat than the equality of men and women, the ability of a couple, a couple to demonstrate publicly their love, their affection. The ability of society to relish not in hate and jihad, but in love, compassion, and mercy. Yeah, the Islamists talk about mercy. Rahman, as we say in Arabic, as it says in the Quran, the mercy of God. But then they don't act like it. They suppress and obliterate the feelings of expression publicly that bring us together and make us human. And they feel that anything taken by expressed to its extremes, such as possibly in an overly permissive culture as they may see the West, as a culture that they see as hedonistic about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, they see Valentine's Day as the problem. The songs, the music, the art as the problem. That's why they're smartest and brightest and most talented are defecting or leaving or protesting and wanting to be free of the shackles of their theocracies. So help for those of us living here in the West. You've enjoyed your Valentine's Day. My wife and I, our anniversary is on uh, Valentine's Day. And it was uh, not necessarily a coincidence. Uh, We got married in 1998. I was on leave, had to take leave from the Navy, obviously, and President's Day weekend gave us a four-day reprieve in which we could do that. And again, you find it falls typically right around the time of President's Day, so I was able to do that, and it happened to be on a Saturday when we got married. I want to talk this week about Islamic education. There needs to be a debate. I called for it a decade ago, and I still call for it today. A debate about what is taught there. How do you tell the difference between Islamic schools that are simply in the tradition of parochial education in America 
And those schools that are factories for insurgents, future jihadists, that teach separatism, that are not really part of Americanism. And I came up with, these aren't all of them, but this I think is a good smattering of questions, nine of them, that you can ask about your local Islamic school. We have two of them here in Phoenix, Arizona. Many of the states from Ohio to Illinois to Michigan to California have a number of them. And the debate came up nationally when 2006, 2007, the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, which I was later to become a member of in 2012, released a list of specific concerns about the Saudi Academy in Northern Virginia. uh, Concerns about the security of our country based on the students that are produced by that school. The Islamic Saudi Academy, it's, it's, it was on American soil in Northern Virginia, administered, funded, owned by the Saudi embassy. We had, uh, when I was on the commission, as they had for many, many years, brought attention to the hateful, bigoted interpretations of Quranic scripture, of hadith, that basically called for the genocide against Jews. And then when you had one of their valedictorians on the Interpol list to be found in Saudi Arabia because he was plotting an assassination attempt against former President George Bush. Starts to make you think when your valedictorians are plotting against your so-called allies... The Saudis are our allies now. This is apropos to the Pensacola shooting last few months ago. Three soldiers died, more were injured, as they trained who they thought were their friends. A foreign government training in our military, training in our weaponry, jets, etc., so that they could learn how to use the weapons that we are giving them to protect themselves as our allies. And then... One of them turns into a jihadist that's plotting against us and commits an act of terror. The Saudis on our loan. The Saudis actually are beginning to fix some of this and are looking at new public relations campaigns and beginning to reform the ideas that are the, the central part of the pathology. But we'll, we'll get to that in another program. Today I want to talk to you about the schools. When it came to the Saudi Academy, the commission press release said several studies, including by Saudi experts themselves, pointed to serious concerns that these texts encourage violence toward others, misguide the pupils into believing that in order to safeguard their own religion, they must violently repress and even physically eliminate the other. And that's only one example. But let's take a little journey toward a public accountability of Islamic education. That's a foreign school on our soil that had basically sort of the, the, the margins of the ability of us to do much because it got a bypass because it has diplomatic presence. But there are hundreds of Islamic schools in America. 
And listen, I'm not one. This is not about trying to take away the freedom of the Muslim community from building schools. But the Islamist education, Islamism, I've talked to you about what that is. The belief that Muslims, when you form societies, form communities, form nations, would want to form a government based on Islamic law, would want to form a national identity with a flag whose unity is the Ummah, a flag of Islam, should be consistent with your nation. That's Islamism. And these schools, are they teaching Islamism? And by virtue of them not being critical of Islamism and having their schools built in the West, they're either doing da'wah, which they call education, but actually proselytization. They're either doing that in order to spread and evangelize their ideas into the West and try to defeat secular, liberal, democratic ideas that are against their Islamist ideas, or they're going to be teaching modern thinking, critical thinking, and reform. So rather than simply that one foreign school, let's look at the comprehensively to the curricula of all Islamic schools in the United States. And again, this isn't profiling about American Muslims. It's really more about understanding the penetration of the ideology which consciously and subconsciously teaches the superiority of a political system of governance that's at odds with the American political and justice system. And this is how, once they graduate, they then join the MSA, that Muslim Student Association that pleads and teaches that jihad is the way, the Muslim Brotherhood mantra is the goal of their social justice warriorship. <laughs> so this, this discussion is not only... A, about relevant to schools, but many of the schools were getting tax breaks. Let's let's separate it from Islam for a second. Imagine you had schools in your neighborhood that were skinhead schools, Nazi schools, schools that taught ideas that were not only separatist but militant, that were ideas that were anathema to who we are. And as you see the leftists want to do, they want to associate some of the verbiage of President Trump and others on the right with fascism, as they did in Charlottesville and elsewhere. And we can get into how most of that, if not much of it, was unfair. Some of it may have been uh, opportunistic because of the lack of clarity coming from President Trump. But at the end of the day, Every conservative I know would be up in arms if there was a school teaching kids, especially if it was getting any tax money that was teaching Nazism as part of its core curriculum or teaching Soviet communism in the Cold War. So when we look at those things that are a threat to our country and a threat to our security, we need to understand the separatist mindset because... I have to tell you, as much as in the real-time battle, our military soldiers are at ground zero, ground zero for radicalization is not only the mosques, which might see our kids on a Sunday for three or four hours, might have a little impact, 
But the schools that are daily teaching our kids, Muslim kids that decide, like Jewish kids, Christian kids, to go to their school, have a huge impact on the indoctrination of Muslims into certain political mindsets. At odds with the American way of life is not only the more obvious militant Islamist jihadist fringe, which is a component, a lead component of political Islam, but also the less obvious, more pervasive, and more insidiously dangerous movement of political Islam as a way of life. I remember when I first moved to Arizona, I thought, oh, let me, my wife and I were wanting to start a family soon, and we had thought uh, that eventually we might think about Islamic education. And then I started to see what they taught, what the imams said there, what was the culture, the separatism. And I and was like, absolutely not. And again, this is not to say that Islamists don't have a right to it, but they need to be exposed. And the separatism... I think should have a filter where American taxpayers are not able to as freely donate their tax money, our tax money, to the support of schools that have anathema ideas that are incompatible. Look up TIZA, T-I-Z-A, Tariq Ibn Ziyad Academy in Minneapolis. One of the few times I agreed with the ACLU they overall protracted case over years were concerned about the school's benefits that it received while at the same time punishing kids for not praying, punishing kids for not doing things that were Islamic. And that ran against core rules of the separation of church and state. And to their credit, the school to ACLU's credit, the school tried to fix it and then ultimately lost again and was closed. Had to close. For Islamic educational institutions in America founded only with the purpose of teaching our children the love of God, righteousness, personal Islamic theology, pluralism, humanitarianism, character, humility, charity, and other personal religious principles as it applies to God, I see no threat to our freedom. But more relevant questions are, how are these Islamic institutions of education handling topics of American government and law, discussions about the Jewish community, about Holocaust? Are they deniers? Or do they teach about the need for us to recognize and engage that history as a blight on mankind and contributed to by anti-Semitic ideology that exists also in Islamic interpretations. I'm waiting anxiously to hear a public debate about what's taught in the U.S. history and government classes as compared to the Islamic jurisprudence classes of these Islamic schools. What do they teach in their U.S. history classes? (laughs) I have first-hand knowledge 
in Syria, for example, where they taught, the secular government supposedly taught that Patrick Henry, when he said, give me liberty, was just like a suicide bomber who said, give me liberty or give me death. Now, if that's not the biggest bunch of brainwashing propaganda, I don't know what is. Most of the Islamic schools around the country are relatively new. Been around barely for a generation. But those generations of students are becoming, they are becoming leaders of the Islamic organizations. Look at the farm teams that then create leaders of the Muslim Student Association, the Islamic Circle of North America, the Islamic Society of North America, the Muslim American Society and its chapters and all the activists that chant jihad. The Linda Sarsours of the world, where Linda Sarsour stands at the ISNA conference a couple years ago, right after President Trump was elected, and says... It is my, it should be our jihad to defeat President Trump. And I'm not afraid to call it a jihad because it is our jihad, she said, to paraphrase. Huge controversy broke out because she was calling for jihad against the President of the United States. Now she says she didn't try to she didn't say it was militant. She certainly didn't. But to say that's not part of the radicalization process of American Muslims is complete and unmitigated nonsense. First of all, let me say that as we talk about Islamic education and we get to these nine points that I think if you have an Islamic school near you or as we talk about it nationally or in your states and you look at funding and other things, there's going to be nine questions I think you should ask. But first, let's make it clear. Most American Muslims are not products of Islamist education. Having grown up in a small Midwestern town in Nina, Wisconsin, I'm a product of American public K-12 and then a public undergraduate school in northeastern Wisconsin. While I mostly learned the personal rules of my faith and theology from my family and weekend school at the mosque in my youth, a weekend school that included 10, 20, 30 kids and a few teachers that I had often one-on-one education with, I gained the foundations of my appreciation for the sanctity of our Constitution, Bill of Rights and American legal system, through that Wisconsin public educational system. I recall participating, I remember participating in the American Legion Constitution Contest. It was an annual competition of Wisconsin high school students best able to memorize the U.S. Constitution. And I remember placing in the state contest and just relishing in the fact that I was able to memorize so much of the U.S. Constitution as a high schooler. Islamic schools similarly have Quran memorization contests, which are also admirable. Well, they have American Constitution contests. Yes, we all memorize our scripture, whether it's the uh, uh, Jewish tradition of memorizing the Old Testament and Talmudic teachings, 
Christian tradition of learning your hymns, your scripture, but most importantly, will their government classes in the Islamic schools teach primarily allegiance to the Constitution over the Qur'an and as far as guiding documents for governments? Permeating my own educational experience was the preeminence of America's pluralism and constitutional legal system based in individual liberty over all other systems from communism to fascism to theocracy. I was taught the value of criticizing authority and proving my ideas in the public arena of debate. Do Islamic t- schools Do those schools teach their students to question the authority of their imams, their teachers? How do Islamic schools teach enlightenment, critical thinking, liberation of the human mind over the suffocation of teachers and theocrats? It's time to have a comprehensive discussion about Islamic state teachings, history of the caliphate, Islamic dynasties, Islamic law, How is it taught to the naive Muslim children? Is it taught as the glory days? The glory days, the utopia of Islamic dominance. That is a problem if it is, ladies and gentlemen. Or was it simply a period of historical advancement in the context of mankind's evolution? Evolution towards a far more free, a better, a more humanitarian Western society of today based in real religious liberty. And listen... It's not apologetics to say at the time of the Islamic Caliphate, which Bernard Lewis called the Golden Age of Judaism, at some point where Maimonides taught in the 10th century, 11th century, sometime around there, it was the best place to live in the world. So this is, yet, if you hold it to today's standards, it wasn't free. There were some autocratic components to the society. It wasn't a liberal democracy. They hadn't gone through an enlightenment. But yet, compared to Europe in the Dark Ages, evolutionarily, it was the best at the time. There was diversity of thinking. Now we have four Islamic schools of thought. Back then, there were thousands. They were critically studying all of the major philosophers and thinkers and translating and all and all. That's not an apologetic. It's the reality. But to say that we would rather live back in that time than in the America of today is an absurd brainwashing propaganda that denies the preference and the advancement of secular liberal societies based on the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So, first, do they teach the kids at these schools that Islamic laws that exists in our Muslim theological texts is frozen in the 12th to 13th century, and that ishtihad, the modernization of Islamic law, ended. Additionally, are the Muslim youth learning in their formative years that access to government political leadership should be open to every citizen equally regardless of their faith or religious education, and that the system should be based on rules that are universal, not based on one faith. And that's why America was based under God, not under Christianity. And Muslims should be taught that 
Yes, your faith, as in the West, there's Judeo-Christian tradition, it's a Judeo-Christian society. We can have Islamic societies per se. But we don't need an Islamic state under Islam. We don't want it. We reject it. We want government under God. Schools, schools that teach the preeminence of a Sharia-based legal system over any other governmental system should raise profound concern in non-Muslim and Muslim Americans about the creation of insidious political insurgencies. That's the issue. All of these ideas might sound a bit esoteric to you, sort of, well, I don't... I get yeah, there's an Islamic school down the street. If they teach about the caliphate, yeah, they have a right to, and they talk about a utopia, but they live here. They know that the Middle East is screwed up. And uh, No, you don't understand. Bin Laden has many, many quotes that sound for all the world like something that could come out of almost every Islamic school that's Islamist about the decadence of the West, about the need to bring back the, the, the better times of Islam, more educated, critical. He even talks about critical thinking, but his critical thinking is about Islamist against the West, against monarchs and the things that the populist Islamists like bin Laden and al-Baghdadi and Hassan al-Banna and the Brotherhood and al-Qaeda and ISIS, that's what these guys are teaching. So until... We begin to recognize with our kids the beauty of American exceptionalism, the beauty of our founding fathers, and why we should embrace the system because it's better than any Islamic system has been or could be. Now, there's blasphemy for you in our faith community. Has been or could be. Could be. Oh my God, that's blasphemy. You think of the Islamic world, the Islamic system, if they become educated and, and, and focused on, on goodness and, and human rights, they, they can't have a good and righteous Islamic state? No. At its core, theocracy, something based in an idea of one faith having dominance over every other or none, is doomed to fail. I don't care how pure and how wonderful that faith is, and I don't care if I call it my own. Any single faith running government becomes a power system that is a quasi or real theocracy. So ladies and gentlemen, as you look at the schools near your house, in your state, let's go through some of the nine points that you should be looking at. Number one, we've talked about some of them already, but we need to have this analysis. We need to have this discussion about what students at these schools are actually being taught about Sharia law. So here are a few questions. American communities, you may want to ask and pose to principals, curriculum coordinators of local Islamic schools in order to understand whether the school has a political agenda in its teachings or not. Number one, how does the school teach American history and the U.S. Constitution and Bill of Rights? 
what is taught about the struggle of our founding fathers against theocracy? Is European Enlightenment ideology taught? Are students encouraged to learn from non-Muslim philosophers, especially those who influenced their founding fathers and taught liberty and freedom? And these are not unfair questions. These are not, you may say, oh, these are for college. No. My kids are at a charter school here in, in Scottsdale, Arizona. I look at their history classes, world civilization books, their books on American history, American government, civics, and other things, and it touches on many of these things. The balance of the system about the history and the evolution of freedom, democracy. Take a look at the Islamic school curriculums, the books about Islamic history, and how much they exaggerate the beauty and greatness of Islamic history and governance, as if it could do no wrong, when in fact, there were many things in there are many things in the history that need to be reevaluated and assessed and called out in a contrite in a contrite manner. Number two. So that's important. How number one, how does the school teach American history and the Constitution, the role of the Founding Fathers and Enlightenment and sort of the byproduct of that period in which the West rejected theocracy? Do they apply it to Islam? Number two, are students taught that Sharia is only personal or that it specifically guides governmental law? So if they talk about the, the, the punishment for stealing, do they say, oh, according to the Quran, it should cut the hands of those who steal. And oh, that sounds mean, but it works in Saudi Arabia. There's no stealing. The comments we hear all the time. If that's being taught, they're in Islamist school. There are other ways to teach it. And there are other ways to interpret it and modernize it and realize what those passages actually mean. And does, this is key, does their answer change whether Muslims are a majority or minority? Because it shouldn't. If you really believe in the rightness and the righteousness of what you're teaching, the, the stance of Muslims in the government should not change. That's why I don't care if Muslims are talking about this as a minority in America, 4 million people, or if they're talking about it in Indonesia where they're 98% of the population. They should be a separation of mosque and state. They should accept the beauty of American history and its exceptionalism and reject the fact that Islamic exceptionalism is better than that because there is no such a thing, I believe, I would ever want to be a part of that's Islamic governmental exceptionalism. And it also tells you a lot about their honesty and dishonesty if they change what they're teaching their kids based on a minority or majority because those are the families ladies and gentlemen, that are telling their kids at home, oh, we don't live like the Americans. We don't date and drink and, and we're, we're honest, unlike the Americans. But don't tell them when you go to school, just, just not, you know, we're not going to push our things on them. We're a minority. But then if they're a majority, the rules change. That's not honest. That is majoritocracy, that is deception, and that is the taqiyya, 
which is to say one thing on one face and turn and say it on another. That is the hypocrisy, the pandering of the lying Islamists. Number three, do they view non-Islamic private and public schools as part of a culture of immorality and decadence since they're not Islamicized? Or can non-Islamic schools, public schools or private or other non-Muslim schools, be morally and equally virtuous? I can't tell you how much I've seen this over and over. As they try to recruit Muslim kids to their school in their fundraisers, they will tell parents, do you want to send your kids to that satanic public school? Do you want to send your kids to the, to the evil indoctrination into the West where you could lose them to drugs and all that? You know, listen, I get it. I know that this, this is not a, a disease peculiar to just Muslims where you try to recruit people to your cause, your schools, your funding by scaring them away from the others and criticizing the others. But A, I think morally and ethically that's not a way to advertise for yourself. And it'll expose them as hypocrites and really un-Islamic that somehow they have to attack other schools in order to prove their own. But number two, and more importantly to this conversation, is that they're living in America, getting all the benefits, and they're telling their donors that the schools they're building here are built on a society that without them would be corrupt, and yet that's how they built it from the ground up, was based on this government, this society that gave them freedom. That is Islamism, ladies and gentlemen. It's a separatism, it's self-hate against the country that's giving you freedom, and it's anti-American. Number four, do they teach their kids that being American, being free, is about moral corruption or is being American and free about loving the nation in which they live and sharing equal status before the law regardless of the faith tradition? The imam here in Scottsdale where I had multiple disagreements with, but back in 2014 he had a whole sermon against me and I transcribed his sermon, published it, and responded to it. He did his dissertation at Berkeley in law school about how Muslims are second-class citizens. They don't even have the rights of regular Americans. Now, if that's not a bunch of BS, complete unmitigated BS, are there cases of bigotry? Are there cases in which the state overreached its power? Absolutely, but it does so against other individuals and it's a sign of the of the misuse by that officer by that attorney by that prosecutor not by the system not by a government that is continuing to try to better itself but yet has a tradition of being the best freest society in the planet so how are they teaching that being american being muslim That Imam here, Yasser Ali's paper was about us being oppressed. He wasn't writing about oppression by regimes in the Middle East where they slaughter and genocidally kill their people. He wasn't writing about the Muslim Brotherhood's oppression when it ran Egypt and showed its truest colors 
for 18 months and 13 and 14? No. He wrote about America's oppression. And this is what they teach in many of the Islamic schools. And that's how you tell if they're Islamists. Number five, religious freedom. Is complete religious freedom a central part of the faith and the practice of religion? Do they teach that concept of religious freedom to criticize, enter and leave the faith? Criticize core concepts. How are children treated who refuse to participate in school faith practices? So, so important. What is the philosophy there? Because when I was in public school, I remember vigorous debates with teachers that would correct my essays and, and other things that they disagreed with and often back and forth. Now, that's much worse now than I think it was 35 years ago when I was in high school. But the bottom line, the bottom line is, do we, do we understand their position about critical thinking? Number six, are the children in these schools taught Muslim exclusivism with regards to the attainment of paradise and the hereafter? And from that are the children also taught that government and public institutions must thus be Islamic in order for the community as a whole to be able to enter the gates of heaven. So is there a collective guilt? Is there a collective hereafter for those who create an ummah, a society that is better, that is Islamic, that is an Islamic state? This Islamic exclusivism is extremely important. I know you can get into the fact that, yeah, well, what about other faiths have exclusivity? Well, this personal attainment of heaven, that's one thing. But I think it helps us understand if those schools are Islamist. Because along with that, if they say, in order for you to go to heaven, not only must you be Muslim, but you must try to create an Islamic state, an Islamic government then you got a ding, that's an Islamic school. And I'm sorry, as Muslims, I don't see a moderate interpretation that says that Christians are going to go to hell. Even if they say, well, Allahu Alam, we don't know. Well, the we don't know part can be interpreted positive or negative. So why not interpret it positively and say, yes, we don't know, but them being Christian is not the obstacle. For them to go to heaven. Number seven. How are student discussions, debates, and intellectual discourses approached regarding American domestic and foreign policy? Do the teachers have a political agenda? Does the agenda demonstrate a dichotomy between Islamist interests and American interests? That sounds like a whole political curriculum. Not necessarily. I think it's pretty easy. What I'm talking about, do they connect? For example, the reason I only lasted a few months on the Islamic school here locally when I first got here, the imam, not only was their reaction to 9-11 horrific, 
by not flying their flag at half-mast, by not talking about the evil of Al-Qaeda and the Taliban and Islamic radicalism, but actually talking about in their prayers, praying for the Afghanis and the possible upcoming war, for their jihad. Yes, that was in the Arabic supplication at that Islamic school. That imam was then fired and removed, but bottom line is, is the, the philosophy that reflexively happened at that school. What's the political climate that talks about what American troops are doing across the world? Do they see them as imperialists, colonialists? And that, by the way, those terms, you can criticize. No different than Trump or Tulsi Gabbard or any of them do. You can say, we don't need our troops abroad. Let's bring them home. They're not doing anything. Okay, fine. But to say they're imperialists or colonialists, as some of Bernie Sanders' surrogates have said, is absurd. I served 11 years. Our troops were there to help, to try to help them defeat evil, to try to bring food, to try to bring humanitarian safety and other things. Yes, there were some bad actors, but again, a minor minority. So how is that position? What is the position of us and them? Do they see us as the American soldiers in American country and our nation, or do they see the troops as a them and us as being the Muslims? You know, there's a sermon that was given at one of the Islamic schools I heard where they say, when they're suffering in Yemen, when they're suffering in Syria, it is like one body. And the prophet talked about how if one part of your body is infected, the whole body gets sick. If the Islamic school is teaching that the body that these kids belong to is not America, but the Islamic Ummah, that's an Islamic school. That is dangerous, that's separatist, and a threat. Number eight is the historical period of Muslim rule of Spain, Andalusia, taught in the context of the history of the world during the Middle Ages, or is it looked upon as superior to the current day of American ideology, even after the advances of the Enlightenment? How do they look at that history in Andalusia? Are they trying to get back to this time of Andalusia? So much of the radicalization of American Muslims globally is about trying to achieve that great, quote-unquote, time. I say that sarcastically. Under Spanish Muslim rule. We've talked about that. And last, number nine. Is the Pledge of Allegiance administered every day at the beginning of the school day? I'm sorry. If it is... Just listen to the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. If they can't do that and what it stands for, if they can't pledge that allegiance, odds are higher it's an Islamic, Islamist school. It's not too much to expect schools operating on American soil to manifest an ideology which is not politically anathema to the founding ideals of our nation. I want to end with a couple things. A recent 2004 study by the NCES documented 182 Islamic private schools in the United States. Voice of America trumpeted a report last decade 
that Muslim Americans establish their own schools. Oh, okay. They presented it as an assumption that was great. What about if they were all Islamists? And I will tell you, in my unscientific assessment and review, most of the questions I gave you, the schools would not pass. The Islamic schools. Because it's too early. It is too early for us to be in our evolution of reform to beginning to, to, to establish schools. First, teach your kids in American history and American liberty and freedom and universal human rights. Then, once they're grounded in Western liberalism, then begin to create Islamic institutions of higher learning. You can't do the first and establish those institutions with teachers that are, that are grounded in theocratic interpretations of Islam and expect them somehow to breed kids that are modern. The business plan is backwards and has been dominated by Islamists. Have the lay intellectuals in America, Muslims, begin first to create a generation of, of reformers that believe in the separation of mosque and state, and that then will create institutions when those kids then go on after being liberal humanitarians and believers in democracy and undergrad to go on to then learn Islam and translation and other things to create schools later. But we don't have a large enough critical mass of Muslims who are anti-Islamists, who are reformers in the tradition of our Muslim reform movement and its declaration. If ever you doubt, look, find our declaration. It's online, muslimreformmovement.org. Find the declaration. The only way for the West to defeat the transnational goals of political Islam in a lasting manner is to separate the national identity of Muslim youth, their Americanism from their spiritual identity of Islam. But it has to come from within the Islamic consciousness and ground zero for that with kids are these Islamic schools. In my own history, yes, while all Americans should be free to establish parochial schools, they should not be insulated from public scrutiny. While my personal belief, I personally believe that Islamic schools contribute to the segregation and isolation of Muslims psychologically and physically, I will always endorse the right to exist, especially as spiritual institutions. However, I will continue from the rooftops to exclaim that our national security interests demand that we not allow them to become incubators of political Islam where they can influence and control impressionable youth. Amen. Look at the schools near you, folks. Make sure that you understand and begin to have conversations about what makes them a threat, what makes them Islamist. Find these nine points and begin to talk to your family and friends about them. This is Udi Jasser on Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Talk to you. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.